Matthew 24, verse 42 through 44, and then we'll read Luke chapter 12 and verse 40. Let's read every other verse together. I'll begin in 42. We'll read 43, then I'll read 44, then we'll turn over to Luke 12 and read verse 40 together. Beginning in 42 of Matthew 24, the Bible says, Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come together. But know this, that if the good men of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Look at Luke chapter 12 and verse 40 with me. Turn over there. Luke chapter 12 and verse 40. I'll give you just a moment to, to find your way. The sound of pages turning. Amen. Luke 12, verse 40. Ready? Here we go. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. Our theme this year is the commands of Christ. We're looking at the commands of Christ. 52 commands, distinct commands that Jesus gave us uh, while He uh, walked the earth. And we've broken those commands up into six categories. We looked first at my character. Now we are looking at a series called My Calling, entitled My Calling. What commands did Christ give us all about His calling? Last week we considered the command to seek first the kingdom of God. This week we look at the command, and here's the title, Be Ready. Be ready. Let's pray together. Lord, guide us and help us to understand these vital truths. Shake our cages a little bit, Lord, and wake us up to the reality that your return, your redemption draws nigh. It won't be long until you come, and it won't be long until we're standing in your presence. Lord, I believe with all my heart you'll come back sometime in the next couple of decades. And when your return happens, we need to be ready. We need uh, to be watching. We need to be working. So Lord, uh, drive these truths home uh, to us today through Scripture and preaching and illustration. May we leave here today challenged to be at our very best living for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, back during the 1800s, there was a Christian doctor in London, and he wanted to arouse his page boy as to the salvation of his soul. This page boy lived with him and worked with him, and uh, they shared the same room, and they had beds in the same room. So one night, the doctor explained to him that the Lord himself shall descend uh, from heaven with a shout, First Thessalonians 4.16, he ended the verse by saying, When the Lord comes, young man, John, he said to John, When the Lord comes, you may have my home. The boy laid in bed and stared up at the ceiling and found that peculiar and was surprised. The doctor continued, Oh, and you can have my car. And John was more surprised. And my furniture. And he began to smile. He said, Oh, and one last thing you can have. You can have all my money. And the boy could only just gasp and eventually he, he just said, well, thanks. <laughs> the boy laid there in bed for hours, couldn't sleep. The doctor fell asleep and the young man couldn't. And the young man thought to himself, if the doctor goes to heaven, what will I do with his house and his car and his furniture? 
and his money. What will that mean for me? He woke up the doctor and explained his problem. And before morning came, the young man had received Christ and he was also ready. He was ready. This is sermon number three in our series, My Calling. Now, some of, some of Christ's commands are for the individual. They're for the individual. For example, God has called me, Richard Lejeune, to be the husband of Angela Segura Lejeune. He's not called anyone here to be her husband. He's called me to be her husband. That's God's individual calling on me. If any of you try to be Angela's husband, me and you are going to have some problems. Amen? That ain't going to go over so well. All right? God has called me individually to be the father of Matthew and April. If some of you around here start trying to boss my kids around like you're their dad, again, we're going to have some problems. God has not called you to do that. He's called me to do that. Furthermore, God has called me to be the pastor of White Oak Baptist Church. At this place in this time, for such a time as this, I am to be the father of Matthew and April, the husband of Angela, and the pastor of this church. That's God's individual calling on my life. God has called you, and He has an individual calling on your life right now. Maybe your school age. God has called you to be the best student you can be. Maybe uh, God has called you to be a wife or a husband, or maybe God's just called you to be a father or a mother. Maybe you have a job. God has called you to be an employee at your place of work. If you're an employer, God wants you to be that employer for that location again for such a time as this. But uh, uh, while there are commands of Christ that are for the individual, there are also commands that involve our calling that are blanket commands that involve all of the disciples of Christ. All right, exercise this morning. Raise your hand if you desire to be or consider yourself a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hold your hand up if you desire to be or consider yourself a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Very good. You can put your hands down. Now, if you are serious about this thing, then there are some commands that God has given me and you that we are to follow through on. We began this series by considering on a Sunday evening Christ's command to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Last week we considered Christ's command. Pastor Andrew did a great job filling in to seek first the kingdom of God. These commands of Christ are interlocked one with other. Let me illustrate. Uh, I, while I am commanded to be both a husband and a father and a pastor, these three work in tandem. They work together. If I am poor at one, it's going to affect my capacity to perform in another. Like this. Watch. If I am a great father to Matthew in April, but a poor husband to Angela, then that is going to put a strain on my ability to father Matthew in April. If my marriage falls apart because I'm a poor husband, then that's going to limit my ability to be a good father. Furthermore, if I am a good pastor at White Oak Baptist Church, but a poor father to Matthew in April, then I will disqualify myself to be the pastor of White Oak Baptist Church. You see, 1 Timothy 3 tells us that a pastor must first, first rule his own house well because that is his first church. And if I lose my family, then I will lose the church. These callings are inter 
connected, and so it is with the commands of Christ. We saw the command of Mark 16:15 to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But then last week we saw in Matthew 6 the command to seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Now watch this. Watch this this morning. If I am going to go and preach the gospel to every creature, then I must also seek first the kingdom of God. If I'm not going to put God's kingdom first, then I'm not going to preach the gospel to every creature very well. And if I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God, then by default, I'm going to be busy preaching the gospel, whether it's across the street or across the globe, I'm going to be preaching the gospel everywhere I go. Why? Because these commands of Christ are interconnected. Now, let's add to the foundation of these calling commands and add a third one. Let's look third at this third command of be ready. Be ready. The Bible tells us Christians who live in the church age that Jesus will be coming back at any moment throughout the centuries. Many have fixated on the when and the how. Many dates have been set and predicted, but none of them correctly. Jesus told us, that, and we'll look at the verse in a moment, but only the Father in heaven knows the day and the hour. You may remember that back in 1988, there was a popular book that was sold. In fact, it was a New York Times bestseller, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Come Back in 1988. He hasn't. He didn't. So then, after that, quickly he released another book. Oh, I made a mistake. 89 reasons why Jesus will come back in 1989. And then he sold another book in 92 and in 93. And, and, and only the one in 88 really sold a lot of copies. But the man just continued to try. And, uh, Harold Camping back 10, 15 years ago, uh, was predicting the date of Christ's return. But, failed over and over again. Back in the 1800s, there was a man who predicted the date of Jesus' return and people sold their homes and gave away their money and gave away their carriages and their horses and sold their farms. And uh, some people went up on top of a mountain in order to uh, 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 wait for the Lord to return because they thought if we're on a mountain, we'll be even closer. We'll get there first. And others went to a graveyard knowing that the dead in Christ shall rise first and they wanted to go up with their loved ones. And others uh, 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 stood with their families in circles waiting for that moment. But nonetheless, Christ did not return. Uh, Listen, too many people fixate on the when and the how. But Christians, we should be more concerned with the that He's going to return. And He is coming and He is coming soon. And we must be ready. We must be ready when He comes back. I propose that many churchgoers will be left behind at the rapture of the church. Others will be raptured, but when they get to heaven, they'll be ashamed to see Jesus because they live a selfish and sinful lifestyle. If Jesus returns during your lifetime, is He going to find you foolish? Or faithful. Living life for yourself. Or living life for others. So let's hop in this morning. Let's look at three thoughts out of the Gospels. As we look closely at what Christ meant when He commanded us to be 
ready. All right, number one. Point number one, you can take notes on the back of your bulletin there. Notice the Christian's rapture. Let's take a minute and talk about the rapture. Turn over to Acts chapter 1. Hold your places in Matthew and Luke. We'll be in both of those here shortly. Turn over to uh, Acts chapter number 1. While the word rapture, rapture, does not appear in the King James Bible, the concept of a catching away of the saints Sure does. Furthermore, the word Trinity is not found in the Bible, but First uh, uh, John 5, 7 tells us the Father, the Word, and the Spirit, these three are one. And if you want to throw out First John 5, 7 for argument's sake, uh, you can still prove, undeniably prove, that all three exist and that all three are indeed divine. They're three, but one. The Trinity, the Word is not in the Bible, the concept is. The word rapture is not in the Bible, but the catching away concept sure is. Look at Acts chapter 1 and look at verse number 9. And when he had spoken these things while they believed, he was taken up. This is Jesus. And a cloud, notice the word cloud, a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men, these are angels, stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing into Heaven, this same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, look at this part, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. We're told in Acts 1 that Jesus ascended into the clouds and he will be coming back in like manner. Now, turn over to 1 Thessalonians 4. How is he coming back? He's coming back one day the same way he departed. He departed from his disciples into the clouds, and he will return to gather his disciples in the clouds, in the clouds. Paul gives us even more detail about Jesus' coming back. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4, and look at verse number 13. The Bible says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. And just really quick here. Um, remember when Jesus said about Lazarus, he sleepeth, and, uh, and Jesus talked about, and then he had to tell them plainly, no, he is dead. Why would Jesus uh, call uh, Lazarus asleep? Why would Paul say about people who are dead that they're asleep? Because listen, if you have believed in the resurrection and the life, your body may lay dormant in the ground for even many years, but one day the resurrection and the life is coming back to give each of us life. And we will be alive. Amen? We'll be alive. And so, uh, 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 Paul says here, them which are asleep. Yes, their bodies are separated from us. We cannot communicate with them, but we know that this is temporary. Verse 13 again, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend, look here, from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Look at 17. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. There's that catching away. Caught up, that rapture, together with Him. Where? In the clouds. To meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. People say that the Christians are crazy for believing in the rapture. That this is sci-fi sounding and science fiction and 
nature. And I would ask, what's more sci-fi sounding, that the God who created us and is coming back to get us, or that aliens are roaming the earth? How many of you have seen in the news lately all the talk about aliens? And it's not just in the sci-fi movies anymore. Major news channels are covering alien sightings. This is my opinion, and I'll state it that way. I think we're getting a lot of talk about aliens because the devil is beginning to create a cover story for the rapture. And when the rapture takes place, it's going to be really easy to blame the aliens and show all this video footage of these um, these uh, unidentified flying objects moving around in ways that we can't explain. And, and I think it's all a cover story. And, and listen, uh, you can call it crazy that one day that millions of people are just going to disappear off the planet. You can label that as sci-fi. You can label that as nuts. You can label it as a conspiracy. You can call it whatever you want. But the Bible has a perfect track record of predicting the future and that future coming true. It just does. Every time the Bible has made a prediction to point, it has not only come to pass, it has come to pass uh, in perfect detail. So make no mistake about it. When the Bible says that one day the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, with a, uh, with, with a voice of a trumpet, and the dead in Christ shall rise, and we that, that, that are alive and remain will be called up together to meet the Lord in the air, my friend, it's going to happen. I believe the next event on the timeline is the rapture of the church, the catching away. What is that going to look like? Letter A, we see a sudden call. A sudden call. Go back with me to Matthew chapter 24, where we began this morning. Matthew chapter 24. Zach Dillon, could you get me a bottle of water? Run that up here. I appreciate that. Matthew 24. And look with me at verse number 36. The Bible says, but of that day and hour knoweth no man. Thank you very much. You sure? All right. You promise it's not open. All right. I believe you, sister. All right. But of that day and hour, know with no man, know not the angels in heaven, but my Father only. Now, I, I get, hold on, everybody look up here. I get that some verses of the Bible are difficult to parse and difficult to understand. I get that, alright? This one's not one of those. Look at it with me again, alright? But of the day and hour knoweth no man. No man. So if a man tries to tell you when Jesus is coming back, just remember Jesus said, no man knoweth. Alright? By the way, as we're going to read here in a little bit deeper, Jesus doesn't even know. So if someone tells you they know when Jesus is coming back, that's pretty amazing because not even Jesus knows when He's coming back. Look here. Knoweth no man, no not the angels of heaven. Who knows? Look at the rest of the verse. Read it with me. But my Father only. I get the sense that uh, heaven is sitting on edge right now, waiting for God, the Father, to look at Jesus and say, hey, it's time. Go get your children. <laughs> I think Gabriel might, um, might be practicing that trumpet, getting it ready. How many of you in here, anybody in here play the trumpet or have played the trumpet at some point in their life? All right, got one hand, two hands. Anybody else? I took trumpet lessons when I was a teenager and got to where I could play some basic hymns. And then my trumpet teacher quit, left the church, and took his trumpet with him. So that was that. Uh, but uh, that was many years ago. But um, I know this about playing a trumpet is that if you don't stay practiced, your lips begin to get, you know, atrophy. 
atrophy, atrophy, how do you say that? And uh, you, you get where you, you, you just can't do it. And I, I get the sense Gabriel's maybe practicing that high note, right? He's getting ready. Uh, he, he's, he's waiting for the Father to say to Jesus, hey, it's time. Go down and get the church. Go down and get the saints. Listen, uh, no man knows the day or the hour, but when, G, when, rather, when God the Father decides it's time, He's going to tell His Son and He's going to come get us. It's going to be sudden. Look at verse number 42. Look at verse 42. Heaven sits on edge waiting. Look at 42. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 15 for me. While we're not, uh, while we're not uh, to be guessing the when, we are to be standing on high alert. We're to live our lives in such a way that we are ready in a moment's notice for His return. We're ready. We're constantly ready that He comes back and, and, and we're ready to see Him. We're ready to stand in His presence. We've gotten everything done He's called us to do. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse number 51. 5, 1, 51. Behold, I show you a mystery, Paul says. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That somewhere belongs in the church nursery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Amen. Um, verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. You see that? In a moment. In the twinkling of an eye. At the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. In a moment. In a moment. In the twinkling of an eye. In a mo- it's going to happen like just like that. How quick can you blink your eyes? Right? You're going to be walking down the street one day, and uh, Jesus is going to come to the clouds, and the trumpet's going to blow, and you're going to go from walking down an asphalt street to walking down a golden street. It's going to be pretty great, isn't it? You're going to go from sitting at the table having a meal with friends to being in the presence of the Lord, getting ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's going to be spectacular, especially for those that are prepared. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be a sudden call. Now, are there any signs that will indicate that we're getting close? There sure will be, let her be, notice, a sinful culture. A sinful culture. Take your Bibles back over to Matthew 24 with me and look at verse number 37. Matthew 24, look at verse number 37. Thank you for the water. I really do appreciate that. Matthew 24, look at verse 37. The Bible says, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the days that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also... The coming of the Son of Man be. We have to stop and ask, how wicked was it in Noah's day? Well, if uh, and, and we're not going to go through the whole passage this morning, but if you go back to Genesis 6, and, and you look at verses 1 and 2, the Bible talks about the sons of God having babies with the daughters of men. And there's been a lot, there's been a lot of debate, and there will be till till. The Lord settles it all in heaven about who the sons of God were and who the daughters of men are. And I'm not here to settle that debate. Um, you don't know what the debate is. We're not even going to get into that this morning. But we do know this. Um, they, they, chose, they chose to marry and be involved in a marriage that was an unequal yoke. It was not something God wanted. And as a result, they were able to create something of a superhuman. The Bible tells us there were giants 
that came as a result of these marriages, and uh, they were uh, they were extremely intelligent and they were extremely well put together as far as a human specimen goes. They had seemed to figure out a way to create the ultimate human. But listen to verse five of Genesis six. The Bible says about their wickedness. It says, "And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth." Listen to this here, and that every Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Every, every imagination of the heart. The Bible says it will be as it was in the days of Noah. I uh, love to follow technology. I, I, I consider myself on some level, as far as the news go, not my technical skills, but in the news, I love to follow technology. I'm a tech enthusiast on some level, and uh, as we speak, Elon Musk, um, I still can't figure out if he's a good guy or a bad guy. <laughs> Elon Musk, uh, he's, he's the Lex Luthor of our day, some have called him. Um, uh, Le- Le- Elon Musk has developed a company named Neuralink. How many of you have heard of, read about, know anything about Neuralink? All right, hold your hands up there. All right, the rest of you, I'm about to just just blow your socks off. What he's doing with Neuralink is both incredible and incredibly scary. The company is actively attempting... This is not... By the way, this is not conspiracy. This is fact. He's open about this. He, Elon Musk has talked about this in, in forums. All right, he's, he's attempting to create a computer chip that can be surgically placed inside of your head that will connect to your brain... If successful, the chip, here are the positives, could provide blind people with the ability to see through a camera attached to their forehead. It could help reconnect neurosynapses and give paralyzed people, paralytics, the ability to walk again. Now, all of that sounds exciting, all right? But consider the fact that your brain would then be connected to the Internet, Man and machine are beginning to meld into one. Now, you could conceivably download large swaths of information to your brain. Technology has always been a two-edged sword. While there are good that technology brings about, there is also equal evil. He has talked about being able to, to download a movie to your brain and watch it in the theater of your, of your mind. He's talked about being able to communicate with someone just telepathically through your thoughts. This is not theory. Now, it's not happening tomorrow. They're already putting these chips in the brains of monkeys and getting them to communicate to us through a screen with their thoughts. Imagine the evil that can be enjoyed in the brain through this technology. And no one other than you and God, if involved, would know it. A superhuman. A human mixed with robot. Just as in the days of Noah, every imagine of the thought of the hearts being only evil continually. Hey, by the way, 
If you want to put the brakes on technology in your life before we get to this extreme, hey, I think now is the time to start applying the brakes. I'm going to just come out now and say it. No Christian should put a computer chip in their brain. It's wrong. It's unethical. It's sinful. All of us can look around us and see that Christ's return is getting closer and closer and closer. But how is it that you and I can be ready, be ready as Christ commanded? We've looked at the Christian's rapture. Let's move on and talk about number two, the Christian's responsibility. The Christian's responsibility. Christ regularly used illustrations of a great man going on a long journey and coming back at an unannounced time to check on his servants, to see if they were ready, to see if they had done what he had left them to do. Matthew chapter 24, verse 46. Look at verse 46 of Matthew chapter 24. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so Doing. So here we see a servant is found doing. He's getting the work done. He's being responsible. The, the master's not looking over his shoulder at every moment of every day. In fact, he's not even been around for a long time. But when he comes back, the servant is doing. He's not a man pleaser. He's not doing things for eye service. He's doing things because he has the character to do it. Matthew 25. Verse 14, look at 25, 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. Consider Mark 13, 35. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh at even or at midnight or at the cock crowing or in the morning. So uh, uh, you you do not know when the master is going to return. And now go over to Luke chapter 12 and look at verse Number 36, Luke 12 and verse 36. And ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knoweth, they may open unto him immediately. You do not know when the Lord will return. Four different times in the Gospels, Jesus talked about his return being like someone who would, um, uh, being like a master who would come at an unannounced time. And by the way, uh, those here that would lean toward the mid-tribulation viewpoint that Jesus is going to come in the middle of the tribulation, if he's going to come in the middle of the tribulation, then we more or less know the day or hour of his return. Do we not? Jesus said, I'm coming at a time where you don't have any idea that I'm coming. It's going to be totally unpredictable. Number uh, number one, we see uh, the Christian's rapture. Two, the Christian's responsibility. Let me give you an A and a B. Letter A, notice the Lord's sensible expectations. The Lord's sensible expectations. Take your Bible over to Luke 12. Go back over to Luke 12. We, we see that the command is to be ready for his return in verse 40 of the chapter, right? Verse 40, be ready, be ready. The verses leading up to verse 40 provide for us proper context of how we can do that. Now, uh, watch this. If I were to tell my children, um, uh, your mom and I are going on a trip, we may be gone for a few hours, we may be gone for a few days, we may be gone for a few weeks, all right? We're leaving you here, and when we get back, you're going to be in trouble if when we get back, you're not ready. They look at us and say, what does it mean? What do you mean by be ready, right? How many of you parents have learned that if you give a broad command, you can expect a broad response? 
if you want narrow results, you better give narrow commands, right? To tell your kid to clean their room, listen, your child has a different idea of what a clean room is than you do, right? Clean the bathroom. I flushed the toilet. What more did you want from me? I wanted you to clean the sink and the, and the you know, mirror, and I wanted you to clean the floor and wipe the ring out of the bathtub and get the scum, soap scum out of... Anyway, you, you want... You want a narrow result, you got to give a narrow command. So when Jesus says to us, hey, I'm going uh, up to heaven and I'm coming back. And when I come back in this rapture, I want you to be ready. Be ready. Uh, that is a broad command in and of itself. But the verses leading up to Luke 12:40 give us the particulars. Give us the narrow. Uh, uh, give us the narrow description of what He wants for us. Seek. Look. Look with me at verse number 31 and 32, and we see the specifics to seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Look at Luke 12, verse 31. But rather, seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Last week, Pastor Andrew preached for us, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And uh, we saw the importance of not prioritizing our kingdom, but rather prioritizing God's kingdom. And if we'll prioritize God's kingdom, then the Lord will take care of our kingdom. Last, uh, and so, uh, if you want more about that part of it, the expectation to seek first the kingdom of God. To put first God's kingdom, go back and listen to last week's message. Now look at verse number 30, uh, 33 and 34. We see the, the particulars, the expectation, not only seek first the kingdom of God, but to lay up treasure in heaven. Look at 33. Sell that ye have and give alms. That means give offerings. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old. A treasure in the heavens that faileth not, uh, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We live in the day of AI. Who knows what AI stands for? Artificial intelligence. If you don't know what that is, you've been living under a rock, all right? Artificial intelligence is taking over the world and probably going to take away a lot of jobs, replace a lot of jobs. Artificial intelligence is some pretty crazy, pretty incredible stuff. And um, um, if you don't know what it is, um, look into it, because it's, it, it, it already has affected your life, whether you realize it or not. One of the things about AI is that bad actors can get their hands on this artificial intelligence and can use it to break into your um, identity and steal your Social Security number and break into your bank account and take your money and maybe even take your house deed away from you. And There's all kinds of evil that comes as a result of that. What am I getting at this morning? There is no treasure on earth that is actually safe. It's not. And we can do all, we can put all the protections in place we want. You may wake up tomorrow and realize someone has taken your identity and stolen everything you have. Now, I'm not here this morning to say that you shouldn't uh, have bank accounts and money. In fact, the book of Proverbs says a wise man leaves an inheritance to his children and to his children's children. That means your children and your grandchildren. So I'm not the preacher standing up here to say that in order to be a good Christian, that means you have to be poor. I don't think that's what the Bible's teaching here. What the Bible is teaching here is that you shouldn't just be so focused on a 401k or an IRA account that you neglect your heaven, uh, your heaven's bank account. That you ignore uh, the riches that can be stored in heaven. Do you know that there is no form of artificial intelligence or anything that can break into your heaven's bank account? 
If I were to say to you, you can have $10 million for five minutes, or you can have a million dollars for a lifetime, which one would you choose? You'd take the million dollars for a lifetime, especially if you had no cell phone to buy everything on the Internet with $10 million in five minutes. Right? You'd take a million dollars for a lifetime. What I see, Christians, I see a lot of people who are saved, they're investing in this over here. And they're investing in this over here. But up in heaven, their bank account is empty. And let me just remind you, your life is a vapor that comes and goes. You're going to have to live off that eternal bank account forever. So many people are not worried. You know, when I was in my 20s, it's funny. Uh, how many, I'm sure there's people in their 20s here this morning. When I was in my 20s, I felt like I was invincible. You know, I felt like I was the smartest person walking planet Earth. And uh, don't laugh. You were that way too, all right? And um, I thought I had life by the tail and everything all figured out. And um, I hear, I'd hear people talk about, you know, retirement accounts. And I don't. You know, I, I, don't, I don't need that. Then I got into my 30s, and I realized, uh, retirement's going to be here before I know it. i got to start setting money aside. And I think a lot of us go through life, and because we don't see heaven with our physical eyes, we're not making that investment. And, and, and we're just not ready. The Lord says, when I come back, I want you to be ready. What's more important? Being a snowbird that has a home in the Carolinas or Florida and Connecticut? And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. If you're able to afford that, praise God, I'm happy for you. But are you pursuing that at the cost of being bankrupt when you get to heaven? Because we're not pursuing the kingdom of God. We're not building up that heavenly bank account. Jesus said, when I come back, I want you to be ready because you sought first the kingdom of God. Because you, you, uh, you were laying up treasure in heaven. What are these expectations? Not only to seek first the kingdom of God and lay up treasure in heaven, but notice next that we're to walk in truth and light. Look at Luke 12. Look at verse 35. Let your loins be girded about. And we know from Ephesians 6, we gird, about, we gird our loins with truth. We, we gird our loins with truth. We protect our loins with truth. And your light's burning. Your light's burning. Everywhere you go, you should walk in the truth of God's Word. I remember there was a song that was um, sung. Pensacola Christian College put the song out in the 90s. It was entitled, Secret Service Christians. Secret service Christians are not needed at this time, all right? And a lot of us, we go through life, and we're Christians. Well, we don't want anybody to know about it, all right? You sit down at work to pray over your meal, and it's, Lord bless us for the Right? Are you willing to take that Bible out of your locker at work and lay it on the break table and read it and sit all by yourself at lunchtime? And not to be pious or acting like you're better than everyone because you genuinely love the Lord? Are you willing to tell the guy next to you at work to knock it off on the taking God's name in vain because you, he's your God and that's offensive to you? You say, oh, pastor, I don't have to do that. 
I, I mean this. I sincerely mean this. If the person next to you kept cussing at your mother, how long would you put up with it? Did your mother die for your sins on the cross? You say, well, that's going to make things awkward. Well, then make it awkward. Make it awkward for them. You don't have to be awkward. Are you loyal to God? Is your light burning or are you hiding it under a bushel? Are your loins girded about with truth or are you going around walking in the error of the culture at large? Be ready. Our sensible expectations. Now, notice the word sensible. Sensible. Why are these expectations sensible or reasonable? Because Jesus suffered in your place to save you from an eternity of hellfire. He's not only showed you mercy, but if you've believed on Him for salvation, He has showed you great grace. And if you do this, uh, if He, if, here's what I want you to understand this morning. If Jesus can die for you, then you can go forth and you can live for Him. It's a sensible expectation. Notice letter B, our steadfast effort. Our steadfast effort. Look at Luke 12, look at verse number 37. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when He cometh, shall find watching, watching. Verily I say unto you that He shall gird Himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. And if He shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants and this know that if the goodman of the house had known uh, what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and would have not suffered his house to be broken through. But uh, be ye therefore ready also for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. There's the story about a gardener who worked a large estate in northern Italy. And uh, the gardener was conducting a visitor through the castle. The castle had these just beautiful, well-groomed grounds with, with flowers of every color and type and, and perennials and annuals and, and bushes that were perfectly shaped and, and, and just uh, uh, manicured and pristine and perfect. As the visitor had lunch with the gardener and his wife, uh, he commended them for the beautiful way that uh, they, they kept the gardens. And he asked, by the way, when was the last time that your owner was here? I don't see the owner around. When was the last time the owner was here? And the gardener replied, well, it's been about ten years. And the visitor sat back in his chair and was shocked and said, well, when are you expecting him to return? And he said, uh, is he coming next week? The gardener shrugged his shoulders and said, I don't know when he is coming, but I'm expecting him today. Are you expecting the Lord to return today? Today. I heard a story about a little girl. Went to church and the pastor preached a sermon like this one. She went home and she said to her mom, do you, do you believe the rapture? Do you believe that the Lord, in the rapture, the Lord's coming? And she said, I do. She said, do you believe he's coming today? And the little girl said, or the little girl said, do you believe he's coming today? And the mom said, I do believe he could come today. And do you think he could come maybe even this hour? And the mom said, well, I do believe he could 
come this hour. A little girl went to her room and she got a hairbrush and she came back and said, well, can, well, can you get my hair ready? <laughs> we just don't know when He's coming. But we need to be ready. If your life was a garden, is it manicured and taken care of or is your life just a total wreck? Do you live your life in such a way that if the rapture happened, He would catch you doing good? Or catch you in the middle of doing something very wrong. Or there's some TV shows I sure wouldn't want the Lord to catch me watching at His return. There's some content on a cell phone I don't think I'd want the Lord to catch me looking at if He came back. There's some friends I don't know that I would want to be eating a meal with and talking about topics that were out of bounds if the Lord were to come back, I think I maybe would be quite... How about you this morning? Our steadfast effort. Number three, lastly notice, the Christian's reckoning. The Christian's reckoning. Revelation chapter 22 verse 12 says, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man as his work shall be. Let's look at three types of servants that we find in the Bible as it pertains to the return of Christ. Notice letter A, the fake servant. The fake servant. Go back with me to Matthew chapter 24 and look at verse number 48. Matthew 24, verse 48. uh, The Bible says, But and if that evil servant uh, shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Author Tim LaHaye said, When I was a boy, I took a tour of the Henry Ford factory in Dearborn, Michigan. He said, We saw an electromagnetic crane move over a large railroad car with the top missing and the inside filled with junk steel. He said, At the flip of a switch, everything in that car leaped up to the magnetic crane. He said, Then I saw a strange thing from a distance. Some pieces of steel fell back into the car. I waited until others had left on the tour and then I climbed up to look inside and found out why these pieces fell back in. He said, I found they were not steel at all. Lying on the bottom of the car were some old two-by-fours, a broom handle, and some broken pieces of wood. He said this, he said, only objects made of the right components responded to the magnet. The rest were left behind. Hebrews 9, I think it is, chapter 9, talks about those who taste of salvation and are going to be accursed. There are people who go to a gospel preaching church like this one and they've heard the gospel over and over and over again and they want everyone to believe that they're a believer. They want everyone to think that they've trusted. But if you're a hypocrite and you've not really believed... The Bible says you're going to be cast into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I wonder if the rapture happened during this church service. Who would be left in their chair? You can fool me 
You can fool your family. You can fool your friends. You can fool the other church members. The Lord knows whether or not you have believed deep down in your heart. And when the rapture happens, if you haven't believed, you will be left behind. Don't be fake. Don't be a phony. The fake servant. Many people will laugh. They'll mock. They'll make fun of. They'll pretend. They'll be a wolf in sheep's clothing. They'll be a tear among the wheat. But one day God will separate the wolves from the sheep. He'll separate the tares from the wheat. He'll cast the tares into, 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 into the hell fire, into outer darkness. You can fool me. You can't fool the Lord. Letter A, the fake servant. Letter B, the foolish Servant, Take your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 3. Matthew 24, uh, Jesus gives us two types of churchgoers or two types of people who uh, act like they're believers. But 1 Corinthians 3, Paul lays out yet a third for us. 1 Corinthians 3, look at verse number 11. Brother, foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. This foundation, my friend, if you study out this passage in detail, this foundation is your salvation. Listen to me this morning. Listen to me. You cannot save yourself. You cannot be a good person to get into heaven. Good works or religion, none of it has anything to do with you getting saved. The Bible is very clear. It's not of works. It's, it, it, it is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. It is God's grace intermingled with your faith. That is salvation. And when you get saved, the foundation is Jesus Christ. Watch this. Your works cannot save you, nor can your works maintain your salvation. If your works did not earn your salvation, then your works do not keep your salvation. Your salvation is the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 12. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, two types of building materials, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work shall abide, uh, which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. Look at verse 15. If any man's work shall be burned... He shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Foundation of your salvation is Jesus Christ. You don't work to be saved or keep your salvation. You work because you are saved. Now, three words here, and write these down. Uh, The three words are this. They are uh, foundation. We see in this passage foundation, framework, and fire. Foundation. Framework, fire, alright? There are no works involved in your foundation. There are works involved in your framework, and one day those works will be tried by fire. So you got saved by grace alone. You're going to get into heaven by grace alone. But the framework of your life, meaning what you do and why you do it, not only the actions, but the motive behind the actions, one day those are going to be tested by fire and your works will be manifested as one of two types of building materials. Either it's going to be wood, hay, and stubble, or it's going to be gold, silver, and precious stones. Now let me ask you a question. You take wood, hay, and stubble and you run that through a fire, what do you get? You get a pile of ash. What happens if you put gold, silver, and precious stones in the fire? You get... You get jewels that are pure. In fact, if you mix those three together, you get a crown. You get what you can shape into a crown. There will be people who make it into heaven because they did believe in Jesus. 
but they're going to be handed a pile of ash. Now, I'm going to give you my opinion. I'm going to state this as my opinion. This is uh, me uh, assuming what the, the judgment seat in heaven is going to look like for Christians. I, it may not work this way. Okay, This is what I understand and how I read and study the Bible. This is the conclusion that I have come to. Uh, I wouldn't stand on this like I would the gospel, but this is how I view it. I think when we get into heaven, all right, we're going to be taken in front of Jesus one at a time. The Savior will be taken to Jesus one at a time. Children, you won't be there with your parents, all right? I won't be standing next to you as your pastor. Wives, your husband won't be with you. Husband, your wives won't be with you. You'll be there all by yourself. I don't personally think the Lord is going to say a word to any of us. I think what's going to happen is we're going to walk into His holy presence and we're going to cast ourselves down on our face. And we're going to declare like Isaiah, I am a man or woman of unclean lips. That, there's every idle word being given account for. I dwell among a people of unclean lips. There's going to be emotion made possibly, and your works from your life will be manifested in building materials, and they will be put through a fire. And at the end of that fire... An angel is going to take a pile of ash or a pile of crowns and going to hand that to you. And if you get a pile of ash, you are a foolish servant because you live life for yourself. If you lived your life for the Lord and you lived your life to love, love God and love others, you're going to have crowns brought over. And you do your own Bible study. There are five crowns found in the Bible. Those will be given to you. And then God's either going to look at you and He's going to call you foolish, or He's going to call you, letter C, faithful. Faithful. Boy, I don't want to get to heaven and realize I only got in by the skin of my teeth. I only got in because I just, I just barely scraped by because I had faith in Christ to save me. I want to get into heaven and know... That I thrive. By the way, by the way, before I get into C, I'm going to get again. Just bear with me here. I think the reason why a lot of Christians are casual about their faith is they somehow think that I can, I got saved, I can live how I want, I get to heaven, and all everything's good. The way I read in times. I see that the rapture happens, the judgment seat happens in the first three and a half years of that rapture. So then you get through the judgment seat, you still have the rest of the tribulation time, those seven years. You have a thousand year millennial reign of Christ, so a thousand years, so now you're at a thousand and seven years removed from that judgment. Then you have the final judgment of the lost. And then we get to Revelation 22 where the Bible says God wipes all tears away from our eyes. There's going to be a lot of time to have regret about how casual we live for the Lord. Oh, there is coming a day where God will wipe tears away from your eyes then you'll live in eternal bliss with no pain or sorrow or regret. But I sure don't want to be miserable on any level those thousand and seven years. The faithful servant. Let's finish out the sermon in verse 44 through 47. Please understand, I am not trying to peddle fear this morning. I'm trying to give you an honest representation of what I believe will happen. 
44, Therefore, be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Be ready. Who then is a faithful and wise servant? My ears perk up, because I want to fit under the faithful servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season. Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. I read through Hebrews chapter 11, and I read... Uh, of many men and women who made some big mistakes along life's path. But they're hailed as being men and women of faith. Listen, everybody in Hebrews 11, that you find their name in Hebrews 11, the Lord is going to look at them one day and say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. But we have to stop for just a moment, and we have to look at the people that are on this list. We have, uh, on Exhibit A, we have Abraham. You know what Abraham did, that knucklehead? He gave away his wife twice. And you know what he got in return? He got his wife back and a pile of cash. He used his wife for money. I look at David and Moses on that list. And you know what they did? They committed murder. But they're on the list. I look at Gideon who doubted God. Sarah, for you ladies, is on the list. She doubted God. Samson was a womanizer. But he's on the list. I could go on and on and on. These men and women are labeled faithful and are held as high examples of true followers of God. Now, I'm almost done. Hang in there with me. Give me five minutes of your time and I'm done. Alright? Listen up. Listen closely. Alright? What did all of the people in Hebrews 11 have in common? That make the good and faithful servant list. Here's what they all have in common. They have two things I see in common. Number one, they all sinned. Raise your hand if you're a sinner. Alright, so guess what? You meet the first qualification. Here's the second qualification. They all picked themselves up and dusted themselves off in sin and they finished their course. All of them. God is not looking for you to be perfect. God is not looking to own you on your past. God is looking for you to run your race with diligence, to seek first the kingdom of God, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He's looking for you to be hard at work, laying up treasure in heaven and girding your loins with truth and and shining out that light. He wants you to come when He comes back. He wants to find you ready because you're not a fake servant and you're not a foolish servant, but you're working hard to be a faithful servant. And may the Lord find all of us here today doing our very best to raise our families to love Him, to serve Him with our whole heart, our whole soul, our whole mind, our whole strength, and that we love our neighbor as ourself. If Jesus were to come back today, are you ready? He said in Luke 12:40, "Be ready." Matthew 22 or 24, he said, "Be ready. You know not at such an hour." As ye think the Son of Man cometh, are you ready? Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning.
Every head bowed, every eye closed. Every dollar in your bank account right now won't matter after the rapture. It just won't matter. The type of car you drive just won't matter. How high up the corporate ladder you've climbed won't matter. How much you owe on your home won't matter. Only one life, so soon it will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, there was a day and time in my life I called on the name of Jesus to save me. I know that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven, not because of who I am or what I've done, but because I put my faith in Christ and I believed in Him alone to save my soul. When I die, I'm going to heaven because Jesus has saved me with His power of His grace. If that's your, your testimony, would you just hold up your hand where you are? I know that when I die, I know I'm going to go to heaven. If the rapture were to happen right now, I'm certain I would be taken up because I have believed. I see many hands, but I did not see every hand. And if you did not raise your hand, I want to thank you for your honesty. I've asked every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. It's just me and you. It's just me and you. If you've never believed in Jesus alone to be your personal Savior, I don't want to embarrass you at all. I promise that is not my intent. I will not call out your name or call attention to you, but I do want to pray for you. If there's one here today that says, that says, if I were to die, I'm not sure where I'd go. Would you pray for me, Pastor? If that's you, would you just slip up your hand where you are? Can you humble yourself enough to just raise your hand and just admit, I don't know that I'd go to heaven. Is there one? I see one hand. Is there anyone else? One person had the courage. Is there anyone else? I just don't know. I see another. I just don't know. Who here would say, Pastor, I should have raised my hand the first time and I didn't. I just don't know. Boy, I want to give the Spirit of God a chance to work in your heart. Will you humble yourself and admit you just don't know? Don't, don't be left out in the rapture. Don't be left behind. If your hand is raised, boy, we sure want to help you make that decision. If you raised your hand with everyone else's heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just look up here at me? No one else looking. Would you just look up here at me? There's two ways we can help you with this. The first way is this man standing down here in front of me. His name is Pastor Andrew. In a few minutes, I'm going to have everybody stand. Several people will come forward to pray here at the altar. I'd invite you to come forward with them if you're comfortable doing that. And just shake his hand. If you're a man, he'll sit with you. If you're a lady, he'll have a lady sit with you. Take the Bible and help you to know for certain that Jesus is your Savior so you can go to heaven. I'd encourage you to do it that way. If you're uncomfortable walking forward, you're, you're just not ready to do that, you can catch me or him after the service. We'd be happy to sit with you and talk with you at length. Let me encourage you to choose option one to come down when the rest of those come. Again, if you're not comfortable with that, we'll talk with you after the service. But please don't leave here without getting that matter settled. How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, I, I am a believer, but I want to be a faithful servant. And there are some things in my life I need to clean up. God has put his finger on these things in my life. Would you please pray for me? Here's my hand. Pray for me. I'm a believer, but I know there's some things I need to get cleaned up. Please pray for me. Many hands, many hands. Lord, would you guide us? Help us today to be people of the book. Help us to be people that are ready so that when you come back, we'll be ready to stand in your presence. While not perfect, Lord, we'll be happy to see you. We'll be happy to uh, see our works laid out before you. Lord, may we receive many crowns, not that pile of ash. Lord God, guide this time of invitation. May our hearts be tender to make real decisions that last in Jesus' name.